Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorenda, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to nine, and 27-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The 4-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, and 31, 31 Days in God's Word. The actual title is Unhurried Grace, 31 Days in God's Word. It's a devotional that I wrote specifically for homeschooling moms. If you have not checked those out, I invite you to do that. You can do that at DorendaWilson.com. You can go to Amazon to find those books, and you can find the four-hour school day at any of your favorite booksellers, in addition to the places that I just mentioned. Um, I wanted to also share a great math resource because I know that as homeschooling moms, that can really be a struggle. And I recently got um, just a little testimonial from a mom who heard about uh, CTC Math from the podcast and had this to say. She said, I now have my son on CTC Math. He is my oldest of five and he loves it. He told me he likes that he can move on faster than our previous material allowed him to. This also has freed me up for 20 minutes to spend more focused time with my two and three-year-olds. This is fantastic. Thank you for telling your podcast listeners about CTC Math. I can already tell this will be very helpful for us. So moms, if you'd like to check out CTC Math, please go um, to their website, ctcmath.com, and uh, check out their free trial. Well, today I am really excited um, to dive into this topic uh, with so many new uh, families homeschooling, I thought it would be really wise to address the topic of school choice. And what I mean by that is we hear a lot about the government wanting to offer us what they call school choice. This means that they want to give us money to use toward choosing whatever form of education we want for our kids. And I think a lot of homeschooling parents might think, finally, we won't be paying taxes for a school system we aren't using. However, things are not always as they appear. There are some very serious issues that come with what is being coined as school choice. So today, Israel Wayne is here to help clarify what we need to know about this topic. Israel is an author and conference speaker who has a passion for defending the faith and promoting a biblical worldview. He is the author of several books. Uh, Just a few of them are Pitch in a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting, which we will be talking about in the next podcast episode, Um, a book called Education, Does God Have an Opinion, and Answers for Homeschooling, Top 25 Questions Critics Asked, as well as Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. He is also the site editor for ChristianWorldViewNet.net and the founder of Family Renewal. So with no uh, further delay, I want to welcome Israel. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you, Dorinda. It's a blessing to be on your show. Well, I'm just going to kind of let you take off because I know you have a lot to share, but I want you to just dive in and share what we need to know about school choice. Well, I think what makes school choice so confusing is that the Republican Party strongly supports it and the Democratic Party strongly opposes it. So for most people who lean conservative in their political ideology, they tend to think if the Democrats are against it and the Republicans are for it, then this has to be a good thing. It has to be something that we would support. And I think if we go back to the roots or the origin of the school choice movement and see where it started, we can kind of understand that. So initially, school choice began within the public school system for parents who were operating solely and exclusively within that paradigm. 
And the idea was that if you had your child in a failing inner city school, for example, because that's where you happen to live uh, because of your, your street location, your zip code, et cetera, and you wanted to have your child transfer to a suburban school that had better academics, maybe less crime, less chance of your child being shot, that kind of thing, you didn't have an option. You didn't have choice because you were assigned the school that you were supposed to attend based on your physical location, where your residence. And so Republicans began advocating for school choice within that system, saying that if you are a public school family, then you should have the option of being able to send your child to any public school of your choice, that you shouldn't be locked into uh, one location, especially if you can somehow provide transportation to be able to get your child from location, your, your house location to this other school location. And so that's really where the, the battle for school choice started. Um, the Democrats tended to oppose it because they felt that what would happen is that it would just move students out of struggling school areas uh, and it would result in a loss of revenue. You know, in other words, if you have a failing inner city school and no one wants to be there and everybody just flees from there to the suburbs, then what happens? Then you don't have the revenue for each of those children. Uh, and so that school could close. And so from their viewpoint, they saw it as a competition to their system that would be harmful economically. They felt that by forcing children to have to attend schools that were local to them, that provided the, the best opportunity for all public schools to be able to succeed equally. That's their viewpoint. So mm -hmm. that kind of gives us the background of why the Republicans supported it, why the Democrats opposed it. Uh, but then over time, the concept of school choice began to evolve. And this is where it's become more tricky. And it's also where it has become much more relevant for parents who have their children in private schools or who homeschool. And so the idea uh, that was proposed, again, by Republican lawmakers was the idea that uh, the money should follow the child and that rather than having a child locked into just their local public school, that they should have the opportunity to have tax dollars uh, follow them wherever they want to go, not merely to another public school, but also to a private or parochial school or even a homeschooling situation. And so this has been uh, advocated now for uh, quite a few years that school choice advocates have wanted to promote this kind of a perspective, but it's gotten staunch opposition from the NEA. It's gotten a lot of opposition from within the Democratic Party. And so in most places, uh, school choice has not really taken off until recently. And then within the last... It's hard to say exactly, but you know, within the last decade for sure, uh, there's been a real full court press on the part of the Republican Party to make this a primary party platform. And the idea that students should be funded by tax dollars, uh, regardless of what type of school situation or scenario they are engaged in. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Can, I have a question about, um, so, so now that this is kind of switched to, to, you know, be including homeschoolers and parochial schools, why are the Democrats so opposed to that? Well, the reason that they oppose that, uh, I think is, 
I think it's really, so this is where, <laughs> this is where my viewpoint on this probably differs from what they would tell you. Right. Um, they would put it this way. They would say, we're concerned about the quality of the education that the children are receiving. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when children leave our public school system, we don't have any way to ensure that they are receiving the highest possible quality of education. <laughs> and so their argument would be, we need these children to stay in the public school system for the good of the child, because mm. this provides the best possible opportunity for the child to learn and get a quality academic education and a good social experience. Once they leave our public school building, who knows? They probably are going to be getting an inferior education somewhere else. So I think that would really be their argument right? Uh, of why they would say it's so important for us to keep these children within the public school system. I'm a little bit more cynical than that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think when you look at everything from academic test scores to character development to safety of the students to less bullying, to less indoctrination, uh, less politically correct ideology, and certainly uh, from a faith-based perspective, a total lack of mm-hmm. uh, promotion of, of religious values. Um, you know, my view is that the public school sort of offers the, the worst of all of those <laughs> and, and environments. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I understand that there are people who who defend the public school system and they are uh, staunch advocates of it. I, I get that. We have a difference in ideology. But I, I just think when you look at the metrics, mm-hmm. um, it's very difficult to find anything objectively that the public school is doing better uh, right. than particularly the homeschool environment. Right, right. And, and so, you know, yeah, they make a claim that they do a better job in all those areas. But there's a lot of research that's out now. It's it's not like homeschooling ha- started last year and, and we don't have any, any data, you know. So <laughs> uh, the, the studies are in. And right. empirically, homeschooling has proven to be very successful uh, in all of those metrics. And so, right. so I believe that what they're concerned about really is loss of control. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they no longer have these students uh, sitting in the classroom being directed into a, a particular kind of ideology. It's my view that they really want to shape a certain kind of citizen. Right. And it's not just, you know, that's just not not just my opinion. Um, when you go back even to the founding of the government school system, the people who founded it, uh, like Horace Mann and John mm-hmm. Dewey and many of these others uh, who were Unitarians or atheists or Marxists, they stated pretty emphatically what their goal was in starting the public school system, that they wanted to create a socialistic society and they wanted to minimize or eliminate the influence of biblical Christianity uh, in American culture. And so, you know, I think you see that all the way, especially from the 1930s to the present. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thought that these students are not going to be in the brick and mortar classroom getting instruction from their textbooks and their Mm -hmm. teachers, I think it's disturbing to them. I think they fear it, to be honest. Uh, So I think that's why the Democratic Party is really opposed to it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, if you look back over the time period that you were just mentioning, it's pretty impressive. They've really had the long game in mind, um, more so than than I feel like um, 
the church has in terms of multi-generational, just continuing to understand that education is such a powerful tool to influence the culture, to influence politics, to influence, you know, the next generation. And they have steadily just kind of drilled down on that. And and now we're seeing, you know, just such blatant, you know, just such a blatant display of that in, in the public schools. But I do look back and I think, wow, they really were, they have been consistent. They have, they have really um, been just, patient and just continued to to drill down. And I, and I think that a lot of believers sort of missed that, that that was happening. And I think they're definitely more of more are queuing in now, but it's been, it's been a long-term investment for them. And uh, so, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's pretty terrifying actually. <laughs> I remember watching a documentary put out by the History Channel back in the 1990s. I think Mike Wallace from CBS News was the host if I remember correctly, it was called God in the in the Classroom. Uh, probably isn't available anymore, but they did a, a study on court cases related to the public school going all the way back to 1925 with the Scopes trial, which is the trial that eventually led to the introduction of evolution being the only theory of origins that could be taught in the public school system. And they noted that since the Scopes trial in 1925, that Christians had never won a significant court battle at the U.S. Supreme Court level uh, regarding religion and the public schools, that they had consistently lost every single court battle since 1925. Mm. And uh, they even hinted at the fact that that was sort of by design. <laughs> and right, so right. I, I thought it was fascinating that, you know, Mike Wallace, who certainly was no conservative and history channel, which is no bastion of conservative thought, right. uh, kind of was admitting that, you know, since since that time that there's been a very concerted effort. Mm-hmm. You know, that was actually the Scopes trial in 25 was actually the very first trial that the ACLU, the Amer- American Civil Liberties Union, uh, or I call them the Anti-Christian Liberties Union, mm-hmm. uh, is the first case they ever litigated. And you see how many cases they have fought for, you know, in the public schools to have the Bible removed, to have the Ten Commandments removed, you know, all of that ever mm-hmm. since. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, as you say, it has been a very steady progression. And the reason for that is that, that social progressives always play offense, and conservatives almost exclusively play defense. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so progressives are patient and they'll wait for their moment, but their goal, you know, if you can use a football analogy, is always move the ball downfield. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the conservatives always have a mentality of block and protect, <laughs> back right. up five yards, block and defend, back up <laughs> five yards. And so, you know, when you look at history, you know, we're just always on the retreat because we right. have no offense game. We only have a defense mm, game. Mm, that is a, that is an, an absolutely terrific uh, visual. To, I'm, I'm picturing that and you're just, you're spot on with that. And so tell us a little bit more about where we are with school choice and what parents need to know. Well, I think the first thing that people need to think about is the fact that government doesn't have any money. Mm. And this is really hard for people to get their minds around, but the government doesn't actually produce anything. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not a corporation. It's not a factory. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only money that government has, it gets from two different sources. Uh, The primary way that it receives revenue is by forced redistribution of wealth. Mm -hmm. 
where it takes from some people and then redistributes it to other people. So mm-hmm. it, it really, uh, the system of government education that we have in America uh, is really predicated on a socialistic system of forced mm-hmm. redistribution of wealth. And most Christians and even conservatives don't think about this. Um, they, they often say to me, uh, you know, I'm very concerned about having my child in a public school classroom because they're teaching my child socialism. And from my viewpoint, the greater problem is not merely that the public schools teach economic socialism in the classroom, although they do, and that's a problem. The greater Mm -hmm. problem is that the government school system is fundamentally socialistic. Right. It really is predicated Mm -hmm. on forced redistribution of wealth. Mm -hmm. So so in order to be uh, for school choice, you ultimately have to be for forced redistribution of wealth. And there's one other way that the government can access money, and that's simply to print fiat dollars, uh, right. you know, currency out of thin air. But but someone pays for that. So the mm-hmm. thing is, it's not free money. Mm-hmm. What happens is that uh, value is always uh, dependent and predicated upon supply and demand. And when there's a, a shortage of something, value goes up. And when there's a surplus of something, value goes down. So the more dollars that they print and flood the marketplace with, the value of the dollar goes down, which means that the cost of goods and services go up. Right. So right. In, other, in other words, it's a hidden tax. It's mm-hmm. a tax that you pay at the pump, at the you know, at the gas station and you pay it at the grocery store and you pay it every month in goods and services. So when you see the prices of everything skyrocketing and you wonder, wow, why are the prices doubling and tripling and quadrupling for mm-hmm. things that we were you know, getting a year ago for just a fraction of the cost? It's because the government has printed billions and billions of dollars, trillions of dollars actually, mm-hmm. uh, and flooded the market with it. So so that's the first thing I think I want people to think about is the fact that the government doesn't have any money. It only has what it takes by force from some people to redistribute to other people. So if you're for school choice, then you are fundamentally for forced redistribution of wealth. Mm-hmm. So that's problematic mm-hmm. uh, from an ideological standpoint. But then, of course, what people say is, okay, well, you know, I don't like the thought of being for forced redistribution of wealth. I would prefer that we we don't have that system. However, we have the system. It's right. in place. And so I pay my property taxes and I ought to be able to get some amount of money back for the money that I have put into uh, you know, into this this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second principle that I think I'd like our listeners to consider is that once the government takes your money away from you and they put it in their pocket, they no longer consider it to be your money. And so a lot of people say, well, the government works for us. We're the citizens. And so our tax dollars are still, it's still our money. These are our representatives representing us. And so we should have access to our money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a nice fanciful thought. Mm-hmm. But in reality, that is not how the government views it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. in your mind, you could choose to look at it that way, I suppose. But the government absolutely positively does not see it that way. And so so that leads us to the third principle. And that is that whatever the government funds, it controls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this is where 
we have people think uh, and conservatives say that we need to have a smorgasbord. We need to have an, an old country buffet, if you will, of educational options with just lots of different choices on the table. And that school choice is somehow going to give us more choice. Mm -hmm. The reality of the situation is that we already have the smorgasbord and we already have choice. We don't, we don't need more choices. We mm -hmm. have lots of choices. We have private schools, we have homeschooling, and we have lots of hybrids. We have lots of varying shades in between. We don't need additional choices. School choice isn't actually giving us any more choice whatsoever. The only thing it gives us is government funding mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for those choices. So, you know, if I if I want to be a private homeschooler, I can do that. If I want to do private schooling online, I can do that. If I want to be part of a homeschool co-op, I can do that. If I want my children in a Catholic school or a Protestant school uh, or an Islamic school <laughs> or a or a secular private school. Like I can I have all these choices available right now. I don't need anybody to give me additional choices. Uh, the question is just regarding the funding. And so when we say that we want to move government funding over into the privately funded sector, uh, what that does is, is it doesn't break the back of the NEA, which is a line that I hear a lot of conservative Republicans saying that we, we need school choice because this breaks the government monopoly. It actually does the exact opposite of that. It actually extends government control over into the very few regions and realms that the government has not already completely dominated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as it stands today, religious private schools and homeschools are not regulated, uh, or at least are regulated very little by the U.S. government or state government mm -hmm. uh, because of the fact that they're not taxpayer funded. And as soon as that funding gets extended to those realms, then not only will the government have control over the government school system, but it will also then immediately have control over the private school system and the homeschool community as well. And then there's nowhere else to go. Right. There is nowhere else to run and hide, if you will, once the government has a complete and total monopoly on all of schooling. So, so it actually is accomplishing the exact opposite of what many conservative lawmakers are telling us it will do. Mm. Wow. Wow. I'm sure parents are listening and thinking, I just never thought about it that way. But it is, it is absolutely true that where the government funds that they have the power. They, that, like you said, this is not our money anymore. It's theirs. And then they take it and they they not only, you know, they take it and they use it as a tool uh, to control everything. And and I, I can only imagine um, how frightening that would be for us as homeschoolers to be facing that, um, the idea that we have no option to opt out of government influence in our children's education. Absolutely. And one of the arguments that I hear from conservative advocates of school choice, uh, even some leaders within the Christian homeschool community, mm -hmm. is they say, well, you're just you know, saying that the sky is falling and you're crying wolf and you're arguing the old slippery slope fallacy and all of that. And they say, well, give me one example 
of a place where someone has accepted school vouchers and it has resulted in encroaching government control. So let me do that, please. Yes, <laughs> let me please share. Do. Let me share a few examples. Sure. So one example that comes to mind is Alberta, Canada. Uh, they had a voucher system uh, for about 20 years. And within in Canada, if you wanted to homeschool, uh, you could homeschool through the public school, you could homeschool through a Catholic school, or you could homeschool through a private Christian school. And in Alberta, virtually every single school in the province was government funded, including the Catholic schools and the Protestant schools. Mm. And so all the homeschoolers were receiving vouchers through the private schools. And so the way it worked out, it was something like $5,500 per year per child of voucher money came down to the private school, which was like an umbrella or cover school for the homeschooling families. And then they split that money. Half of it went to cover administrative costs for the private school. Half of it went directly to the homeschool families. So a few years back, I was speaking at their homeschool conference. And uh, the first night that I spoke as the keynote speaker, I completely sold out of every book that I had brought. Wow. I had nothing else for the whole weekend. And I, I didn't anticipate that. And so I started asking questions. And I found out that essentially, if you were a homeschooling mother with four children, you could go to your homeschool convention with $10,000 in your pocket to spend on homeschool curriculum that weekend, but you had to spend it to get it. And so they were buying everything that I wrote. They bought my homeschooling books, they bought my parenting <laughs> books, they bought my theological books with government bucks, right? And I'm like, this is legal, this is happening. Um, and so, so I asked them about s s creating a separate homeschool exemption in their law so that you didn't have to homeschool through a private school because currently you do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, you know, at that time you did at least. I said, you know, why don't you create a separate law so you're not under, you don't have to be underneath private schools. They said, oh, well, if we did that, we'd cut ourselves off from this wonderful voucher money. Mm. So, so I said, I just see this as being hugely problematic. You know, mm -hmm. at some point the government's going to call this due and they're going to start putting controls on you. Oh no, we've been doing this 20 years. There haven't been any controls. Well, it was literally like a year and a half later that lawmakers moved in Alberta and introduced the bill that said that any school in Alberta that received government funds would have to teach an LGBTQ affirming curriculum. Bam, there it is. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there were no schools or homeschool groups that I'm aware of that that were not taking government funds. Wow. And so the two largest uh, Christian schools at that time refused and said, we won't do it. The, the two largest cover schools for homeschooling. And they were immediately shut down by the government who seized their assets. Mm. Um, and so you know, they later had court battles and things after that, but it shows exactly that the government can do that, that it will do that. Mm -hmm. There's a more recent case in New York State where there are these uh, Jewish schools, these Hasidic schools that are primarily focused on giving Jewish children a religious education, but they started taking state funds and they were taking about $250 million a year. So over a four-year span, they got about a billion dollars in state tax money. 
Well, at that point, the lawmakers said, look, we're paying for this. There needs to be accountability, right? Right. And so uh, with that, they decided that they wanted to have standardized testing. They tested the students and the students did very poorly because these Hasidic schools were not teaching to the test. Right, right. And so the students did not perform well. So then the school said, ah, well, the problem is their curriculum, and that's why their standardized tests are so low, and they don't meet our standards. So they're going to have to use curriculum Mm -hmm. that conforms to our standards. Right. So now there's litigation that's happening in New York State where these Hasidic schools may be forced to use the Common Core curriculum. Of course, they don't always call it that anymore, but it still is Common Core, <laughs> uh, that they they may have to teach uh, LGBTQ-affirming curriculum and all mm-hmm. of that, all of the woke stuff, all the social mm-hmm. justice, and all of that stuff that's in the curriculum. They may be forced to teach public school curriculum in their Hasidic private school. Why? Because they're taking government funds. Right, uh, right. Just ver- very quickly in Michigan, uh, we have something that's like a homeschool public school hybrid that they call a public school uh, partnership. Mm-hmm. And the public schools in Michigan will let you take a few co-op classes for free if you agree to sign a paper that says you understand that these classes are being funded by the public school system. What parents don't know a lot of times is that on the back end of that, they send a bill to Lansing, your local public school sends a bill to Lansing and tells Lansing that you are a part-time public school student. Right, right. And they often get about 85% of the annual funding. So you might have your child taking a, an art class and piano lessons uh, through through your co-op and it being paid for by the public school. But the cost of that to your neighbors is like $8,500 a year. And so, so people say, well, I'm paying for this with my tax dollars. Well, I don't know very many people that are paying over $8,500 a year in property tax, the school portion of their property tax. And I know homeschooling families in Michigan that have six of their children in these public school partnerships. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you look at the, the amount of money that they're costing. It's, you know, some families are costing taxpayers over $50 thousand dollars and our governor was getting a bill for like 50 million dollars at the end of the year that wasn't even in the school budget you know for homeschoolers taking these co-op classes right right and then what happened is they said at the end you know well you can choose your curriculum you can still be a private homeschooler uh you know you still have rights but we heard about a co-op that was visited by a government official and the government official said, I noticed that during your class time, you had prayer, uh, but we're paying for this class. It's tax dollars. And so this First Amendment wall of separation of church and state, yada, yada, you can't pray anymore in your mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. And so the, the group, the Christian homeschool group that was taking government money agreed to not pray during their class so that they could continue to get the government money. (sighs) And so, uh, you know, Utah and Ohio just had a couple of situations where um, there was questions about whether they were taking state funds. Utah has started taking state funds. And so immediately lawmakers started saying, we need to start following the money, right? Following the money to the child Mm -hmm. uh, so that we are knowing what's being taught to the children 
And in Ohio, they don't take vouchers, but lawmakers just tried to implement new laws there to regulate homeschooling because they presumed that homeschoolers were getting government money. So it's happening all over the place. And mm -hmm. uh, so to say that, well, they'll never come after us, they, they absolutely will. They have. Right. It's just what government does. It controls whatever it pays for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's just so important for parents to understand. So, you know, in closing, um, what last few words of encouragement would you give homeschooling parents who are listening in terms of this topic? Well, I've written a book for homeschoolers that you mentioned earlier. It's called Answers for Homeschooling, Top 25 Questions Critics Ask. I have an entire chapter in that book on the school choice issue. So mm. if people want to learn more about that, as well as really almost any other question related to homeschooling, I would encourage them to visit our website, which is familyrenewal.org. And they can purchase uh, copies of Answers for Homeschooling at familyrenewal.org. Okay, well, we'll make sure I will gather um, those links from you and put them in the show notes, mom. So you can uh, just go right down to the show notes and uh, click right over to where you want to go. Um, if you're listening from a podcast platform, sometimes all the show notes don't show up at those platforms because it gets distributed out to several different places. So just go to DorendaWilson.com to the podcast page and you'll find all the show notes will be there for sure. Um so, um, Israel, would you um, mind closing in a word of prayer? And thank you again for being here today and sharing this fantastic information. Loved all the his historical facts and the great um, word pictures you gave. Um, it just, you made, you made it such a clear um, and concise way to understand what's happening. So thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have given these children to us and that we as parents are responsible for their upbringing and their education. Uh, they weren't given to the government. They were given to us. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to take responsibility for this great opportunity that you've given us to help guard and guide their hearts and minds. Lord, help us to be faithful in this task. We do pray for continued legal freedom in our country. We pray for our government officials that they would uh, recognize and protect the right of parents to raise their children uh, as they see fit and as they believe best. Mm -hmm. Lord, we just trust that this is your will, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> 